Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for 25 years. I'm a life coach, author, and speaker. I also work full time as a process analyst in the power industry. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jessie Tuggy, and I've had diabetes for nine years. I love hiking and painting. I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after I get my degree in college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my life and my future, to learn everything I can about type 1 diabetes. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 81 of This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Julia Toothaker, a career and life strategist from Ride the Tide Collective, about her experience with gestational diabetes and how that diagnosis changed her life, not just during pregnancy, but the lasting effects that it's had since then. This conversation was really high energy. It was a lot of fun. So I am just super excited to share Julia with you. But before we get into the interview... We have to report our wins, fails, and our hack of the week. So, Jesse, you are up with the win. Yes, and I'm actually pretty proud of myself this week. So, my win is that I started weight training again and going to the gym on a semi-regular basis, but get this, by myself, adulting, right? Amazing. And honestly, I, I kind of started doing this because, one, I needed to start getting back into the going to the gyms and like not just working out at home and having a separate space where I can relax and work on a goal. And because I kind of had lost interest for a while, but the reason I started going back and the honest reason is because when I get to college, I know if I'm going to be anxious about it or if I'm going to be like really anxiety induced because it's a new place and it's the gym, I would never be going. So this takes a lot of like anxiety and like predispositions about going to the gym away for me and getting on a regular schedule about going to the gym and working out really does help now and then setting those habits up for when I get there. So before I used to just use the cardio machines like the stair climber and the bikes and the treadmill, But due to doing this on my own, I actually started lifting weights and I'm so excited. That's awesome. So I have the fail this week and I, I basically over bolus to bring down a high on my last day of the set. Cause I was, I was like sitting flat at, uh, I think it was like 150, 160, maybe 170. And it was just really annoying me. And so like I bolusing cause the insulin is not as effective the last day. And then right after I changed my set, it just kind of crashed. And that was really annoying. So I ended up being low basically all night, even though I had several Smarty rolls, it would come up. Like I would have two Smarty rolls at a time and it would come up and it would go right back down. And I did that again, come up and then go right back down. I didn't actually over bolus that much. It was just really weird that like, as soon as I changed my set, it started going down. So I did not get a very good night's sleep that night. What is our hack this week? So our hack is to just take a second (laughs) to yourself and before you do something stressful or something that gives you anxiety, like going to the gym, because there's a lot of stereotypes around that space. Like not that that's like for everybody, but it's just, you know, if you need it, take a second, breathe, try to center yourself, be centered on where you're at, how you're feeling, 
you can do this in your car, which I do a lot in my car before I get to work, before I get back from my lunch break, going to the gym, going to the grocery store, literally anything I do, just take a second and just breathe and get in touch with how I'm feeling and what my goal is when I go to somewhere. It really helps me the first time I went to the gym by myself. And now it's just not a big deal. But anyways, here's Julia. Hi, Julia. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you. So we'll just jump right in and we right. have you, we'll have you uh, give us the rundown of who you are and the role that diabetes plays in your life. Yeah. So my name's Julia and I really had not had a lot of interaction with diabetes except for a couple of friends, not even very close friends. So I wasn't that connected to it, but a few people that I knew who had diabetes type one for their whole lives. That was really my only understanding of diabetes until I got pregnant. And I had gestational diabetes. They had told me when I got pregnant that I was a high risk for it. But when I did the first test for it, I didn't have it. Did the second one in the middle of my pregnancy and ended up having it. I actually found out later, more recently, just maybe a year or two ago, that my uncle has diabetes. And I did not know that. So I thought that was interesting. And I don't know what kind of role, if anything, that will play in my life later. But gestational diabetes was my first real introduction to diabetes and what the the intricacies of what it means in your life. And I will tell you, I have a newfound respect and appreciation for people who live with diabetes on the regular. Awesome. Well, so for the people who don't know out there, what is gestational diabetes and how is it different from type one or type two diabetes? So gestational diabetes is for most people, they only get it when they're pregnant and not everybody who's pregnant gets it. And part of the reason they believe that I got it is because when I was pregnant, I was technically overweight by whatever arbitrary medical standards we have that tell us we're overweight. So <laughs> I don't have feelings about that at all, <laughs> but, but that was, that's really what it was. And I didn't even know what gestational diabetes was before that. I, none of my friends who had had kids had had it. So I didn't even know that that was a thing and I didn't know what it was going to entail. So the, the main difference, as I understand it, is it is situational. So you get it while you're pregnant. And then once the baby comes out, you don't have it anymore. But some women will still have it. I believe that's a very small percentage from what I understand. But you're also at a higher likelihood to get diabetes later in your life. So that was the piece that triggered me <laughs> in my journey to go, oh, you need to legitimately make some changes in your life once this kid comes out on top of the changes I had already had to make while I was pregnant. So what are those risk factors or those red flags that you were talking about besides the arbitrary number that we place on weight and stuff like that? I am not, I'll be totally honest. I'm not going to remember all the numbers, but you have to take what they call a sugar test 
when you're pregnant and it's, there's a couple different versions of it. And I had done a shorter version early in my pregnancy, I think like an hour long or something like that. And I was fine. And then later ended up doing the three hour one and they take your blood sugar at the beginning, in the middle and at the end of the three hours. And if your numbers hit, they have different thresholds for each of those times. And if you are above that, I think two out of the three, if two out of the three are above that, then you have gestational diabetes. So what I do recall was I had two of the three, but one of the two was literally one number over. And I was like, really? But the issue was I was going to Kaiser. And so I know not everybody has Kaiser, so I don't know the equivalent, but basically it's like a cattle call of (laughs) medical HMO and all of that. I didn't have a, a problem with Kaiser, but that was their their thing was like, if, if you have hit the number, you hit the number. It does not matter if it's one over. They didn't retest it. Nothing like that. I have a feeling that had I been maybe with a different medical provider or a different doctor or in a different country, which we could also talk about, that, that I might not have had it depending on what their threshold was. What was that diagnosis experience like? Just like hearing that news that you have gestational diabetes. So I should preface with, I am an anxious person. I have anxiety. At the time, I did not understand my anxiety very well, but I knew that I was just an anxious person. And I remember, this is actually one of the moments of my pregnancy that I remember the clearest I remember leaving because I was by myself. My husband was at home. It was like super early in the morning. And I remember calling, I think it was my mom first. And I just like broke down in tears. And I was like, I don't know what this means. I don't know what to do. I just didn't know. I just knew that they were like, this is a big deal. And somebody is going to call you immediately and tell you everything you need to do. And I was like, okay. And like that day, cause I had gone early in the morning later that day, I get a call from their like diabetes, pregnancy people that track you. I forget what they're called. And she gives me the rundown of what needs to happen next, essentially. And I did have to go in the next week and like see the doctor and all of that. I left that phone call and had another complete breakdown because all the information was so overwhelming. And it was basically, you have to change your entire diet overnight or you're going to kill your baby, was basically what I heard. (laughs) That was how I took it in, in terms of the severity of how they explained it to me. And I'm already anxious And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So then I have to go in and they put you in a group with all, with other moms. And let me tell you, I'm not a young mom. I was in my mid thirties and 
these other moms in there are like 20. I don't know. They were very young. So I already felt self-conscious about that. And then I have to sit and watch this ridiculous video about somebody telling me how to make healthy choices in my food as somebody in my thirties. And I was like, this cannot be happening right now. Like this cannot be a real thing that is happening to me. And I was so mad when I left, I called my husband because I, and then they tell you, you know, this is how you calculate everything. Now you have to read labels different. You have to do all this different. And I'm like, I don't freaking know how to do what, what is this? I don't know the numbers. What does this all mean? Call my husband on the way home, break down in tears. We can't do this. I have no idea. We have to, we don't have any of this food. We have to change the way that we, I am like freaking out absolutely freaking out. And my husband being the soft, gentle soul that he is, is like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. He's like, you don't even do the cooking. I do the cooking. He's like, you're, it's going to be fine. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't eat like this. And how am I supposed to just stop eating sugar? I love sugar. I can't do like, it. Was, it was an absolute disaster, absolute disaster. And I'm not a crier. So that's one thing to know too. I am not somebody that breaks down. I am not somebody that gets overwhelmed by emotion. I see something, I I face it head on, I fix it. This was not that. This was like all the pregnancy hormones, all the anxiety, all the everything just came out with this. That next day we spent three hours at the grocery store changing and switching out everything, almost everything in our pantry. Oh, it makes me want to cry just talking about it because it was, I was so frustrated (laughs) because I didn't know how to read the labels. And we were having to do all of this math that I had never had to do before, which sounds ridiculous, but they don't make the labels easy to read. And so you're having to switch and look at like how everybody's measuring. Anyway, I think that was a very long answer to your question, but that was a little bit of my experience right in the beginning. It was very overwhelming and very hard to figure out. And you feel like you're extremely alone in it. You raise a really good point though, that we don't teach kids how to read food labels. Desi and I know how to read food labels because we went to diabetes camp since we were like really young. And so we understand that because we saw it every year. We see it as part of our daily lives, but that's a really good point. We don't teach people how to read food labels. And so mm-hmm. they don't know what like total carbs versus net carbs, what fiber does, what, like, why, why does the fat matter? Like what's protein? Yes. Yes. And I will tell you, I can read the labels now and <laughs> I can do it now. And I tell people, people be like, Oh, this is healthy. I'm like, it's not you need to read. And we compare now. That's like a game that my husband and I have now at the store. We'll pick up something that says it's healthy, whatever healthy means these days. And we'll compare it to something that is seemingly not healthy. Chips is our favorite comparison. And we read the labels and they're exactly the same. The difference usually is the quality of the ingredients but I'm like that the quality of the ingredients does not make it healthier. It just means the quality of the ingredients is better. And that won't be the thing that kills you. I'm literally loving this conversation so much (laughs) right now, by the way, I just want to say this, like that's, this is awesome. 
Also, I have a lot of feelings. This is a very hard time. <laughs> because I was mad. I got yeah. really mad at how I was treated. And yeah. so I I had to become my own advocate during that time. And so it made me really, really passionate about it. And so now if I have friends who are pregnant... One of the first things that I will say is if you end up getting gestational diabetes, I don't care why, you need to call me because I will give you the reality of what that looks like and help you through it because it's very difficult. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's all very good points, honestly. And as somebody who wants to get like pregnant, like very far in the future, I just want to add, this is like, like... Oh my gosh, this is just a, like a, an eye opener of like what that mm-hmm. could possibly look like with diabetes. Like I know it's not the same, but like even so, it's like, oh, okay, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of like realization. Anyways, so how did you manage gestational diabetes besides like was it dietary changes? Did you need to take medications? Like what was that like for you? Yeah, they put me on a medication almost immediately and I don't recall which one it was, but they put me one put me on one almost immediately and then basically said we're going to track you for a little bit and figure out if you need insulin. If you can't get your numbers under control, you're going to have insulin. And immediately I was like I will not have insulin. That is not happening. So I don't know what you need to do but we're going to have to figure this out with food. And if we can't, then we're going to have a problem because I am not sticking a needle in me. So, cause I have a fear of needles. So irony, like this was an absolute disaster, this entire situation <laughs> because I have to prick myself with a needle like a million times a day now, which was the absolute worst. So in terms of managing, it was diet primarily. And because I'm also a picky eater. So we had, we had a lot of things that we had to manage here. So they gave me a list of foods and I went through and, you know, in each category marked what I was willing to eat or what I was willing to even try at that point, because my list of foods I was willing to eat was so small. And I'm pretty sure I ate mostly the same thing for about three months because I couldn't there wasn't anything else that I wanted to eat or that I could eat. And I would try, we would try things like we would experiment. Can I eat this? And then it would spike my numbers. And it was like, Oh, nope, can't eat that. (laughs) Also, here was the one thing that I thought was interesting. So I had the biggest issue in the mornings. So I would, my sugars overnight were like out of control in the morning. It was just, it was a hot mess. And I remember They were like, well, you need to eat before you go to bed. And I was like, what? Because my entire life I've been told you don't eat past seven o'clock, right? Like, which is not a real thing, by the way, but that was, I grew up in the 90s and that's what we were told. So I had to start eating before bed and I would do that. And I mean, as somebody who was pregnant, that was pretty cool. I got to have a snack before bed and everything, but it still wasn't helping. And so I'd have to like, so we went through, I think, five or six different snacks before I think peanuts, peanuts or a peanut butter sandwich on wheat bread was like the winner of, of doing that. But I still had mornings where my numbers were spiked and all of that, not every day, but maybe a couple of days a week 
they would be spiked. And it was to the point where the nurse was like, well, when you get up, don't do anything. Like literally get up, prick your finger. Because if you start moving, that's going to mess up your blood sugar levels. So what was happening was my anxiety all the time was through the roof because I would wake up already pregnant, can't sleep, anxious, whatever. And if I woke up really early, I was like, oh no, I woke up too early. And now if I don't go back to sleep, my blood sugar is going to spike. And then my, I mean, it was just the absolute (laughs) worst. So trying to manage that was the hardest. During the day, I was fine. My numbers during the day were fine unless I ate something off. And usually I knew. But that that was mainly how I managed was with food. Toward the end, they were very close to putting me on insulin. But I I refused. I wouldn't do it. So I was like, mm. And they're like, well, you're going to harm your baby. And I was like, you know what? My baby's just fine. Thank you. I'm not going to stick a needle of an unknown substance into me like that. I don't know how it's going to affect the baby. And I wasn't even going down that road in terms of research and stuff like that. Cause I had already gone down the gestational diabetes rabbit hole of research and I was already angry. So I was like, uh, uh-uh, I don't trust any of you anymore at this point. So it was a good time. <laughs> well, snaps to you standing your ground. I mean, that's awesome. So Did you see any like symptoms of diabetes or if you did see, so you didn't see, she's shaking her head. No, no, no. Um, (laughs) So you didn't see any like, oh my, like besides being like the pregnancy cravings or like, you know, just general fatigue. You didn't see anything like that. No. So here, here's a little rundown too. My pregnancy was awesome. I did not get sick. My feet never swelled up. I never had pregnancy cravings. My pregnancy was like the most awesome pregnancy that you could have. My hair, which I already have nice hair, but it was like extra beautiful and lush. My nails were amazing. Like my pregnancy was amazing. And even when they told me I had gestational diabetes, the only thing that was different was my anxiety levels were through the roof. That was, and then that made me nervous because, you know, that goes then to the baby. So then I had more anxiety. (laughs) So we just had anxiety on top of anxiety. But that was, that was the other thing. Gestational diabetes doesn't present the same way as regular diabetes. So basically you just have a doctor or a nurse telling you, if you don't do these things, you're going to harm your baby. Like that was the message that I received is if you don't get this under control, something's going to happen to your baby. You were basically flying blind. Yes. Yeah. But you were checking your blood sugar every morning. Do you remember what the, what like what the numbers actually were? Oh gosh, no. And you know what? I probably have the logs somewhere. I could probably fish them out. What I do remember was I, again, I went down the rabbit hole of research And I found a study, I think it was a study in Australia, and their numbers were different. And if I was in Australia going by their numbers, or if I was going by other doctors in different parts of the states, my numbers would have been perfectly fine. And in some cases, I wouldn't have even been diagnosed with gestational diabetes. 
So that, oh, and I also got a different monitor. I forget what they're called, but the thing that you prick your finger with. Blood glucose monitor. Yes, that. I got another one because I got in all the gestational diabetes mom groups, right? Because I'm like, I cannot be the only one that is dealing with this and going crazy. And I wasn't. And I saw a lot of people say, get a different monitor. So we ordered one and I used two every single morning because morning is when I had the issues. I took it twice and the results were always completely different. That is normal actually with uh, different meters. And that's what my mind do now. Well, so then I go into, well, how do I know which meter is the right meter And how do I understand the level of accuracy when I'm getting two completely different numbers? That's what's terrible about blood sugar meters is because there's a a margin of error. It's allowed to be 20% off. And so you can can get like five different meters. They'll all have a different number. You just pick one and go with that. Yeah. So that's what I read. I remember reading that. I was looking at you guys. I was in medical journals looking at studies Like I was no joke because I was so angry about this whole situation. And I'm like, 20% was enough for me to not have it. And it was enough for me to look at them and go, if there's a 20% margin of error here, then you cannot be on me for these numbers in the morning when I'm like less than five numbers off over. That's what it was. We're not talking that I was 20 or 30 points up. We're talking anywhere from one to five points over. And I was like, how? Well, because it was Kaiser and Kaiser is so like this number, this number, this number, because they don't want to get sued, right? That's their big thing. And I'm like, yeah, but you're making me crazy. And that's going to end up costing you more money in the long run. So what ended up happening for me, because I kept pestering my, my OB, who funny enough, ended up having gestational diabetes. So she was only my OB for the first couple of months of my pregnancy. And then, or no, she was, I didn't see her the last couple of months or something like that. I don't remember all of the timing, but she could not handle me because I kept asking questions. And I was like, yeah, but I read a study and I read this and I read that. Can you explain it to me? And she's like, I just need you to do this. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that until you tell me why. And finally, she's like, I'm sending you to a specialist. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but okay, if they can answer my questions, that's fine. So I go see the specialist and I ask her, all my questions. And she's like, you're not wrong. And I'm like, thank you. Nobody else could tell me that. And she's like, but I still need you to do these things. And I'm like, that's fine. As long as you answer my questions and you tell me why I am not going to arbitrarily just do things without somebody telling me why. So she was really great. Loved her. Wish I had been with her from the beginning And she was very close to putting me on insulin. And because I refused and my baby came early, I didn't have to deal with it. But So 
It sounds like you did a lot of research on your own, but who was the person or persons that you would go to for like advice about diabetes or gestational diabetes? Nobody. Okay. <laughs> Cause I, so later I realized I actually had an acquaintance who had type one diabetes and I intellectually knew that, but had not connected. Oh, you've had diabetes your whole life. You might be able to help me with gestational diabetes. Cause I was not, we weren't thinking straight at that point. And so later I actually had a conversation with her. I ran into her at a party pre COVID and she had seen online that I had gestational diabetes and I actually did not talk about it a lot until after like probably two years after my pregnancy is when I really started to talk about it more online. And now even in my own business, I will share about it when it's appropriate and things like that, because I just think it's important for people to know about. Anyway, I talked to her and she's like, oh, I wish you would have contacted me because I definitely could have like walked you through a lot of this. So if you're out there and you have gestational diabetes and you have no idea what is happening, find a friend who has regular diabetes and talk to them because I think that would have made the difference for me having talked to somebody who's lived with it their entire life. So what were some urban myths that you heard about being pregnant, about diabetes or foods or just urban myths that you heard during your pregnancy? Well, I, again, I had a good pregnancy. So all of these things that people told me I was going to experience, I didn't experience. And so in some cases I felt kind of guilty about that. I don't know why, but I did. So when people would be like, oh, do you feel this way? I'm like, no, I feel great. Actually, it's totally fine. (laughs) But for diabetes, I think the myths for me was food. It was all around food. And people saying, okay, you know, fruit is healthy. I mean, healthy is relative. I did not realize how much sugar was in an apple, I, I really didn't, you know, and I love apples. And I'm like, well, I love sugar. And so it makes sense that I love the apples because they have a lot of sugar in them, natural sugar, but still sugar nonetheless. So when you have diabetes, it's going to make your numbers spike, right? So I think that, you know, myths around food was probably the biggest thing for me and understanding portion control and fats are okay, that's not something I, again, grew up learning. And so it was a lot, I had to break down pretty much every food stereotype that I had in my head in order to look at the food a different way. And I had to, again, you know, learning how to read the labels and what's healthy and what's not and all of that. And so I think that was probably the biggest myth because I didn't talk to other people and I didn't know a lot about diabetes beforehand. There wasn't really a lot of myths that I felt like I had to overcome. You already mentioned a little bit of your experience with the healthcare system, but is there anything else that you wanted to touch on in regards to that experience? Cause it sounded like it was <laughs> not that great. So what's interesting is I actually love Kaiser. I, I had a great experience with them overall. 
this was just a situation of their frontline people are not built to answer in-depth questions. So if you are if you are somebody who is in a large healthcare system like that, I don't think it's a bad thing. Overall, it was actually really great for us. In this particular experience for me, they should have sent me to the specialist from the beginning. And I don't think I advocated hard enough, but I didn't know that she existed. So I think I would just tell people, if you're in a system like that, you have to advocate for yourself and you have to do as much research as you know and understand how to do. And groups like the Facebook groups for me were really helpful in that because you had people who were really research minded and would post different studies and would pull things from other countries and other states and, you know, or you have somebody that goes to a hometown, small town doctor versus a huge corporation and the experience is very different. And so I think at the end of the day, my thing is you have to be an advocate for yourself. And just because they're telling you that this is what you need to do, you still need to do the research on your own and figure out what's going to be best for you and advocate for whatever that is. Yes. You can't leave it up to chance. Mm -hmm. Can't leave it up to them because they don't know you. Right. Right. And I was actually mad at myself afterward for not doing more research on the pill that I was taking. And it was fine. It ended up being fine, but it was like a hindsight thing. Cause when they gave it to me, I'm like, I didn't know any different. My biggest issue was I don't want to, I don't want to shoot insulin into me. Nothing against people who do that, but I have an extreme fear of needles and I was like, I can't, I can't, there's no, I'm going to pass out like every time I have to do this. So I was like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so what kind of lifestyle changes did the diagnosis prompt and have you kept them to this point? Yes, a lot. So I am somebody who loves sugar. I love desserts. I eat dinner so that I can eat dessert. I would rather eat dessert than dinner. I don't care about food. Food, I'm not a foodie. Thankfully, my husband does all of that and makes very balanced meals for us. But I I love sugar. It's how I was raised. It's just my palate and my taste. If you had told me five or six years ago that I would be sitting here now barely having any sugar in my diet, I would have laughed at you and told you you're absolutely insane. So what happened, obviously we had to make this massive change. I had to start eating a lot of things that I did not like wheat bread being one of them. That stuff's disgusting. And we made a lot of changes. And what ended up happening in the last two months of my pregnancy was I did not gain any weight. And when my son came out, I was 20 pounds lighter than when I got pregnant with him. That is not normal, let me tell you. But it was because I completely shifted my diet. I mean, we are talking a complete 180. I like I can't 
everything changed. And we got so used to it that once he came, I told my husband, I said, I think we need to keep doing this because one, I lost weight. So I want to stay on that train. (laughs) Okay. So that's the first thing. But I said, you know, we could stand to eat healthier. I know this. And what ended up happening was we found so many alternatives for things and we started making different things and it just changed our view of food. And then when my son got older and he started eating, we made all of his food, which I know some of you out there are like, oh, she's so bougie. She makes her own food. I am not the mom that makes food. Okay. This is not, I am not like that. I am the mom that at the end of the day, I'd probably go out and buy the thing. It was cheaper. It was cheaper and it was healthier for us to do that. And it was so stinking easy that anybody that says it's not has not actually (laughs) taken the time to try it. It was so easy to make his food when he was younger. So we did that. And I was adamant that that kid did not have sugar. Absolutely adamant. And if I, like I saw his aunt sneak him frosting once when he was less than a year old and I lost it. I absolutely lost it because I was like, look, he does not have diabetes now. I do not have diabetes now. I will not have this child be raised addicted to sugar. I will not because that's how I was and I'm not having it. And so if you want to give him something, you have to go through me first at this point. Like that's how I was when he was really young. I'm still kind of like that, but it's not because I'm trying to be a controlling mom. It's because I understand now later in life, the addiction that it created for me as an adult and as a coping mechanism. And I refused to allow that to happen to my kid. I mean, that's also like a boundary, whole other boundary conversation right there and parenting and let, yeah, don't, don't sneak kids stuff when their parents say, don't do it. It's there's, there's reasons that parents have those rules. (laughs) Absolutely. And even now my son is about three and a half now at the time that we're recording this. And I've limited a lot of his sugar, natural sugar is fine. Fruit, anything natural is fine. We don't limit that really. But anything artificial, we limit significantly, significantly. And I'll give you a really great example. And this this really confirmed for me why I feel good about the choices we make now. Our son was potty training, has been potty training. And when he started potty training, we used M&M's because he doesn't get a lot of sugar. I was like, okay, this could work out for us, right? Well, they have to go to the bathroom like three times an hour. So I'm doling out M&Ms, you know, like crazy. So after a couple of days, I realized this kid's losing his dang mind. And I'm like, what is going on? And I realize he has had such an uptick in sugar in his diet that he is, he almost turned into a different child and his behavior was different. His mood was different. It it was absolutely crazy to watch. So we switched almost immediately off of M&Ms to like little peanut butter, I don't know, peanut butter pretzel things you get at Costco. We switched to those and he completely mellowed out. And I told my husband, I was like, that is why. 
that is why we don't just hand him sugar and say it's okay. Like I can't, I'm not going to raise a child to be completely manic because we over sugared him, you know? So he doesn't drink juice or anything like that. And I'm going to tell you, I never thought that I would be this mom. When I say it, when I, when I do talks like this, or I talk to other moms, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I sound like the weird crunchy mom, which is fine. Nothing against those moms. I think they're great, but that is, I would never classify myself as that. But that is a little bit of who I've become because of the gestational diabetes. And because not only do I not want to have diabetes again, but I don't want my kid to end up having it. And I don't want him to end up having food issues. And that doesn't mean that we withhold anything from him. We absolutely don't. He gets to try things. We let him eat stuff that we eat and and things like that. And he does get treats, but we're not giving him five cookies he gets like a piece of a cookie because he's three and a half and he doesn't need five cookies. And we try to find healthier alternatives that are like a treat, but that are better for him to help manage some of that. So this completely changed our lifestyle, how we buy food, what we keep in our home. Like we don't really keep a lot of snacks. And if we do, I mean, we've read the labels and we have deemed them appropriate within moderation. We recently switched. I love ice cream, which that one's really, that was the hardest part for me was ice cream. And we found a really great lactose-free ice cream or no sugar added ice cream. And, you know, we mix that in with the regular ice cream sometimes. So we've made a lot of changes. So how did gestational diabetes impact your work? So when I was working, the hardest part for me was managing my food throughout the day because I was in meetings a lot of the day at that time. I was doing what I do now, but I was doing it for an institution. So I'm a career coach and I worked in higher education back when I was pregnant as a as a career coach. And I was meeting with students. I was in meetings, faculty, all of that. And the hardest part for me was having to find time to eat multiple times a day and also take my blood sugar and do, you know, everything has to be timed a certain way and all of that. And it was one of the hardest things to manage because if a meeting went over or, whatever. And at that time, I wasn't sharing with a lot of people that I had gestational diabetes, like a couple of my coworkers knew, but I wasn't sharing that with students and anybody that came into my office. You know, I just wasn't as open about it at that point. And so that was really hard for me to manage. I think that was probably the hardest. To give a little preference to this question, I went to a diabetic camp whose mom had gestational diabetes and she now has type one diabetes like I do. And so I was wondering, did you know if the gestational diabetes has any impact on the chances of your kid getting type one diabetes? I don't know that. I was told that he has less like a less likely chance of getting it than I do because essentially I was the problem. So it's more my disease or it was my disease. That was the way that I 
understood it. Having said that, I don't know yet what his body composition is going to look like. So whether he's going to sway on the heavier side or the thinner side, because both my husband and I, we have both types of people on both sides. (laughs) So it could go any way for him. He seems, as of right now, my son's very tall, so that's a whole other thing. But he's a three and a half year old that looks like a five year old. He's the size of a five year old, but he is not overweight by by any stretch of the imagination. So at this point, I'm feeling okay about it. But that's the other reason why I want to raise him to have a healthy respect for sugar, but not use it to cope not use it to because you're bored or just not eat it all the time honestly like a lot of kids do I want him to understand the choices that he has to make and get him to make the better choices when it's appropriate we did an interview with my endocrinologist who says that so uh, all autoimmune starts in the gut and you need a combination of the pedigree So basically the genetic history and basically a leaky gut. And it sounds like there isn't very much family history in your side. So your son might be at like a lower chance overall because the eating of sugar, it doesn't actually cause any diabetes. But I mean, that's a, that is a common misconception, (laughs) but it's really, really good that you're raising him to not (laughs) have a taste for sugar because that's going to help him in the long run for other reasons. Right, right. And I'm very, I'm very aware of that, but I think because for me, that was my trigger point. And that was the thing that I had to shift the most getting gestational diabetes that I think that's how I equate it right now, even though intellectually I do know. <laughs> I hope he's going to be okay. But honestly, if he's not, then we deal with it, you know, and I hope that I've raised him at that point that we find out well enough that he's going to be able to make the best choices for him when he has to deal with it. But if he does, and let's say he gets it at a younger age, I now know enough that I'm going to be an advocate and I'm going to, I'm going to fight for his health rights as well, or help him advocate for himself and what he needs. And I'm likely going to call you guys and we're going to have a little discussion about what I need to do. (laughs) do it (laughs) absolutely absolutely a hundred percent totally here for it (laughs) i mean obviously we hope he does not end up getting it but if in the off chance he does there's a community out there for you yes yes i know good thank you (laughs) all right something we ask all of our guests is what does burnout mean to you and did you experience burnout during pregnancy okay so burnout is a touchy subject for me because again, anxiety prone, perfectionist, let me tick all of the boxes. So I had already experienced severe burnout before I had gotten pregnant at another position that I was in. And at that point in my life, I actually was not burnt out, surprisingly enough. And the pregnancy didn't create excessive burnout or anything like that for me. The gestational diabetes just made me more anxious. But at that time, I did not feel burnt out because I had had an experience of extreme burnout. Nothing has come close to that 
experience. So when I was pregnant, I definitely did not experience it. And some of that too, I think is because I did have a good pregnancy outside of the last couple of months having gestational diabetes, but I have experienced it and it has been a lot connected to my anxiety, but also the culture, a toxic culture that I was in. And I also have gone through bouts of depression because of that. And so now, especially being business owner and all of that, I'm, I'm highly aware in a different way of my stress, my level of burnout. I don't burn out now because I can control my schedule. I can control everything about my life now in a way that I couldn't before. And, and I really keep that as, as even as I can. And so if my anxiety spikes, I am immediately thinking what's going on, what is happening? What am I not digging into? What has impacted me that I don't realize is impacting me? I'm more, I I understand my depressive states a little bit more now and I can spot the behaviors that bring it on. And so when I start to see those behaviors, I take a step back and go up, what's going on? Why are you going into a depressive state now? (laughs) So I'm so much more aware. And that, that burnout that I had way back when is what I always come back to as remembering what those triggers were and being able to manage my burnout now, which again, I don't really have it now, but I can manage better. Do you have any advice for uh, pregnant women with gestational diabetes who might be experiencing burnout? Talk to somebody a hundred percent. It doesn't have to be a therapist, but that helps because they're a neutral third party, but find a good one that you like. Don't feel like you have to settle for the first person that you see. I think finding it's hard when you're pregnant because if you don't have other friends who are pregnant or who have been pregnant recently, I think sometimes it's hard because people really only have their own pregnancy as an example to go off of. And so if your pregnancies are completely different, it's actually not helpful. So I think if you're experiencing burnout, I would go talk to a therapist, a counselor, something like that. I would get in the Facebook groups but be really selective about the Facebook group, like find one that's really controlled well so that you don't have people fighting over stupid stuff, but is going to give you actual information and people that you can talk to. And I think too, if you have a partner, making sure that you're talking to your partner about what is going on. So I know for me, I thought that my husband was not going to be on board with the diet change. I don't know why I thought that. He's very supportive, but that was my crazy brain at the time. And the second that he said, we're going to be fine and we're going to get through this and we're going to do it together. That was the moment. Ooh, ooh, I can't. Oh, sorry. It makes me all emotional. <laughs> I was really supportive at that time. I'm going to try not to cry on this podcast. But when I think back to that, that was the thing that took my anxiety from about 2000% to normal levels of anxiety that I deal with. So I think just being open with your partner about that, 
And if you don't have a partner, you know, a best friend, somebody, I think talking to me was the biggest thing that I needed to do. I just needed to talk to somebody. So what are some things that you wish you known and had done differently with being pregnant with gestational diabetes? Or is there anything that you wish you had done differently before you got pregnant? I was, so before I got pregnant, I actually felt like I needed to lose weight. I had had a doctor tell me that I needed to lose weight before I got pregnant. So I was already trying to go down that road, but because being pregnant wasn't real yet, it didn't make it real for me. I don't know that I would really change much except for, I think I would have pushed harder to to talk to somebody different earlier in the gestational diabetes process. And I think had I really thought about it, I think I would have gotten a second opinion. I think I would have requested to take the test again. And I think that I would have gone, even if I had to pay out of pocket for it, I might have gone to see somebody else. One thing that I actually just thought about that I did, I forgot during all of having gestational diabetes that my cousin is actually an OB. And so it was, it was probably a month in that I realized, oh, she probably deals with people who have gestational diabetes. (laughs) And I remember calling her and going, hey, here's my situation and all of that. And that helped because her thing was, my conversation with her is what made me realize that Kaiser has to follow certain guidelines because of who they are. And so she's like, they're right. Like you need to manage it. She's like, whether or not you need to do insulin, I don't know. I don't have your chart. I can't tell you any of that, but you need to take what they're saying into consideration. Like, yes, advocate for yourself, but they also know what they're talking about. And I was like, okay. So that made me feel a little bit better. But I think at that point I was already seeing the specialist. So I, I liked the specialist and I felt better about that situation. So I think just do the research. I think that's the biggest thing is do the research for yourself. And as best you can, I know that that's not everyone's thing. And it can be very overwhelming to read medical journals and studies and things like that. I worked in higher ed, so I had access to certain things that probably not the, the general public doesn't have access to, but, but that was helpful for me to learn how to ask the right questions. So it sounds like the weight loss was kind of an unexpected positive of, mm-hmm. of this lifestyle change, but was there anything else that like anything, any other positive experiences you had maybe because of, or in spite of the diabetes during your pregnancy? Yeah. So I had a lot of gut issues. I had, I just had, I just felt off. I always felt off and weird. And my pregnancy prompted me to drink a lot of water, not fake water, like real straight water that helped significantly. I think I was dehydrated. I think I've been dehydrated most of my life and now I'm finally hydrated and it feels wonderful. So I cannot advocate for that enough. I had no idea 
that life, I could live this way and my body would feel this way with water. Who knew? So that was a huge thing that changed. And then I don't have the gut issues anymore. I don't have the stomach issues that I used to have. My stomach just used to hurt all the time. And I thought it was my anxiety. You know, I thought it was just, I'm anxious. I'm a perfectionist. Everything's just really like tight and crazy like that. I don't think it was that. I think it was food. I think it was the food that I was putting into my body. I also limit dairy now pretty significantly. That had a huge impact. Also, little TMI, but for the ladies out there, my period is significantly better than it used to be. I do not have the pain that I used to have. And I don't know if that's attributed to the water, to the lack of sugar, to the lack of dairy. I don't know. But we changed a lot of our food behaviors and all of that combined. I just don't have the same issues that I used to have before I was pregnant. On your website, you mentioned that you're a planner nerd. <laughs> yes. Did you use that to your advantage at all when you were going through that? And like, how does, how does your personality fit in with how you managed it? Yeah. So I, I am a paper planner person and that actually worked out well with Kaiser because they gave me paper trackers and things like that. And so I use that to my advantage and I, I like to check the box off of things. I'm an achiever and Gallup strengths if anybody's taken that. And so I like to check off those boxes. And so I would do that every day. I had my list of all the things that I had to do. And it and I am not somebody that actually follows a structure consistently, um, even though I am very planned and very organized. Doing the same thing every single day is really hard for me. I like to switch up my routines. But when you have diabetes, you can't do that. Like you have to do these things at the prescribed times that you have to do them. And the only thing that kept me doing that was one being organized, but also realizing this is my child's life that I was putting in the balance. And so that created a different level of urgency for me. My own life, it didn't matter, but my child's life, (laughs) that mattered enough to me that I was willing to do these things every day. And so I made sure that I was tracking everything. I kept copious notes of what I was eating. And part of the reason I did that is because I got so much shame from the nurses and from the doctor about oh, you had a number spike here in the afternoon. Oh, this one over here, you had a spike. We're not talking majority. We're talking like a couple times a week, I would have a spike and I would get asked about every single time. So I had to keep copious notes of what I was eating so that I could be like, you know what? I went to Chick-fil-A and I ate the dang fries, okay? And I knew that my freaking numbers were gonna spike, but I'm pregnant and I'm tired and I want some dang fries. So I ate the dang fries. <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. Tell us more about Ride the Tide Collective. Like what does it mean to be a career and a life strategist? Yeah, so what I haven't shared with this story is I had a couple of really big life things happen to me. So in fall of 2016, my dad passed away. I got pregnant a couple months after that. 
So then had this whole gestational diabetes journey, had my son, and then my mom passed away in spring of 2018. So within less than two years, I had three major life transitions, plus having the gestational diabetes, which significantly changed our lifestyle. And after my mom passed, I just went through this crisis of what am I doing with my life? You know, and I liked the work that I was doing. It it wasn't really about that. It was more, I was being faced with so many big life events that I was like, I just don't want to give my life. I don't want to give eight hours of my day to somebody else. I wasn't willing to do that anymore. And so I left full-time work. I started my business. I started a podcast. So I have a podcast called Ride the Tide Collective. And I started sharing everything I knew. I still wanted to help people. Ride the Tide comes out of the fact that I'm from Southern California. I love the water. I think there's something really wonderful about this idea of we ride the tides of life. And there's ups and there's downs and it takes us in and out. And sometimes we drown a little bit and sometimes we have to be rescued. (laughs) There are so many analogies we can draw from that and visuals. But that that was really my push for this company. I wanted to help people and I wanted to help people in a holistic way. But I'm a career coach. That's my training. I've done that for the last 10 years. I love doing that. So I've started the business more on the career coaching side, which if anybody out there has done career coaching also includes a healthy dose of life coaching, uh, which just ends up happening by proxy. And so now I coach, I have a podcast, I have digital products, I have a ton of free content because I believe that everybody should have access to career information to help them move forward and be the best version of themselves when they go to work and when they're searching for a career. So started that and absolutely love it. And at this point, wouldn't even look back. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) So what's some advice that you have for women who might or are at risk for getting gestational diabetes? Change your diet. Change your diet as best you can within your ability to change it. So one of the things that, and this, I feel like this could be an entire podcast episode, but one of the things that you, we don't talk about enough is accessibility to healthy, good food. And so what happened to my husband and I was we, we didn't have great options. You know, we didn't have things that were all natural. We didn't have things that were organic. We didn't have any of that type of stuff because we weren't raised like that. We didn't know. We just ate, you know, we actually bought pretty cheaply at that time. But when we had to switch everything out, if I recall, that was about a $300 shopping trip to the store to replace a good chunk of the food that we had. And then we ended up giving away what we could to people, but of what we couldn't eat or what I couldn't eat. And that has been the hardest part for us now is we don't buy mac and cheese in a box 
And we actually don't eat a ton of pasta anymore. We eat it very minimally, but that was just that. And and my husband and I just had a conversation about this too, because we were talking about our food budget, which is astronomical. And I was like, what is going on? Why are we spending so much money on food? And he's like, we don't eat mac and cheese anymore. That was a dollar a box and two boxes would feed us for like two days. We don't eat like that anymore. Like we're eating fruits and vegetables. We're eating more organic, natural foods. We're buying different types of foods that are more expensive because we're trying to eat in a certain way. He's like, if we ate pasta four times a week, then we wouldn't be having this discussion. (laughs) And that was a light bulb moment for me where I had to adjust my my mentality on cost of food and my expectations of what I thought food was going to cost versus what it actually does cost. And there is definitely an accessibility issue there. I mean, we're fortunate enough that we can sustain it, but even for us, we're like, this is a lot of money for three people to, to keep this up. You know, we don't buy the dollar cereal for my kid. We're buying like the more, or it's not even, I actually don't even care about organic, to be honest with you. I really look at how much sugar is in it. And so we try to find things that have the least amount of sugar (laughs) as possible so that he still gets something, but it's not going to be over. So that's expensive. That's not a dollar for a box of cereal. That's $4 for a box of cereal. And that's very different. That raises the... I don't, I don't know if it's like a, a fact or something, but back in like the 1800s, the 1700s, being obese was a sign of wealth. And now it's a sign of poverty because the cheap fattening foods, those are the ones that the poverty, like the people who are poor have access to. And the people who are rich are the ones who can access the best foods for you. And it's really mm-hmm. fascinating that it made that switch that you went from being fat means that you're well off to being fat means you're poor. Yep. And that's Absolutely. a whole other conversation. I, I'm, I, I was like, ooh, I could say some things. I'm not going to because <laughs> that's not what this is about. But yeah, it's it's definitely an issue. Yeah. All right. So what are some projects that you're working on that you're super excited about? Ooh, that's a great question. Okay. There's two. Two projects. One, so I've been doing my podcast for just over a year, but it's been me doing it primarily, teaching and things like that. And just at the beginning of 2021, I started doing interviews, much like this one. And I started having other professionals on to my podcast. And it has been amazing. I love it so much. It it has been so rewarding for me to talk to other professionals and get a pulse on what's going on in different industries and different functional areas. And just honestly, to hear that there are happy people out there working in the world, because I know I came from a very toxic industry and I've had so many toxic issues and a lot of my friends have been in toxic industries that I don't necessarily get to see the positives all the time. Also with what I do, a lot of times people are having issues and that's why they come to me. But this has been so rewarding to see that people are so happy in the work that they're doing and they found a really great company and a really great functional area that they love. 
So that's the first project I'm doing. I volunteer as tribute. <gasps> Wait, what do you what do you do outside of this? I work in the power industry, and I actually really love my full time <gasps> job. But I'm also a life coach, so I do both sides of it. And so I would love to come on to your podcast, and we can talk about yeah. that afterwards. Okay, yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that after. Uh, <laughs> okay, so the other thing is, so I've been coaching. I've been coaching for ten years, and. What I did was I took all of that information and all my experience coaching and I put it into a program and it's called Control Your Career. It's 12 weeks. It's what I call flipped classroom. So I have videos. You watch videos of me, very short, manageable to do throughout the day and the week. You answer questions and then we meet and we really dig in. And I love this program because a lot of times what happens with coaches, and this is like any type type of coach, you, you need a warming up period to get to know each other. And sometimes that can take about a month or so. It really just depends on the coach and what you need and all of that. But it takes a couple sessions to get into it, right? The way that I structured this program is you're starting to do some of that internal work before you even get to me. So your, your head is already spinning. You're already being asked the questions that I would ask you. And then when you get to meet with me, we're digging in. We're getting that quality time. I can read your answers to the questions, or if you want to submit a video, however you want to do that, it doesn't matter. But I get to dig in with you instead of having to spend like three or four sessions and thousands of dollars, you know, just on the getting to know you process. So that's really how I built this program was we have about a month and a half of let's really dig in, get to know each other. Let's figure out your personality type. Let's figure out your triggers. Let's figure out all your barriers and things. And then let's switch into goal setting. What does that look like? What do you need for your career? What is the next thing for you? So then the next half of it is very customizable to what wherever you're at. So I don't dictate that to you. I'll help you talk it out and figure out what you want. And we'll spend some time working on that goal. We'll talk about habits. This is where some of the life coaching pieces come in. But we'll talk about confidence. We'll talk about habits. We'll talk about all of that. And I set you up after those 12 weeks to be able to go out on your own. If you want to stick with me, cool. We'll talk about what that looks like, but I'm not going to force you to stick with me if you don't need to, right? So I love it. I think it's a great program. I have a swag bag box with it, resource box that I send to you. So I'm really excited for that. And I'm in the middle of recruiting people for that right now. So if you're interested, feel free to reach out to me. That sounds absolutely awesome. And I kind of wish I had that when I was starting out. And I also know some people who might benefit from it now. So I will, I will yes, plug you. We will talk about that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our last question is probably pretty predictable, but where can, where can people find you online? Yeah. So Ride the Tide Collective, pretty much anywhere. My best free content is on Instagram. So highly recommend that Ride the Tide Collective. I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you are a working professional, that is probably one of the best places to interact with me. I have a pretty robust network as well. So it would behoove you to connect with me. And then I'm also on Facebook. I post there, but not as active. Also Ride the Tide Collective 
And all of that is also linked on my website, ridethetidecollective.com, which is where you can find the podcast, free resources, all the things. Thank you so much. It's been awesome talking with you. I've loved this whole conversation. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to come on. I haven't talked about this in a while, but I'm happy to share and I hope that it helps somebody along in their journey. All right. So our question for you guys is, who do you know that has faced gestational diabetes? Is it a celebrity? Is it a family member? Let us know by sending an email or in the comments section where you can leave us a good review as well. And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much to Julia for coming on as a guest to the show. And you can find Julia online at ridethetidecollective.com, which you'll find in the show notes, and across pretty much all social media at Ride the Tide Collective. And you can find all of those links in the show notes as well. And those show notes are at inspiredforward.com slash episode 81. And that's the number 81. It's just so cool. We're up to 81 episodes already. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on our podcast page at thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. I have a free Facebook group where I coach people for free in the comments, and I go live on most Saturdays. You can join Life and Mindset Coaching by visiting the link in the show notes. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward. You can find me on DMP, which is Diabetes Management Platform, as at Colleen Mitchell with a space. And our email is Colleen at inspiredforward.com. And I'm on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal K-A-T. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. If you do reach out on Instagram, please make sure you let me know that you're a listener of the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to listen next week when we talk about scar tissue and site rotation. It seems kind of boring, but they are kind of big deals the longer that you're a diabetic because of how much we end up poking ourselves with different needles and other medical devices. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.